Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall in studio. I've got a prediction for today. All right, let me hear it. We're going to learn about predictions. We're going to learn about predictions? <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like there is so much information swirling around right now. Everybody has an opinion. It doesn't matter if it's from Bitcoin to cryptocurrency to inflation, taxes, markets. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Everybody has an opinion. And I think there's one thing we're going to show everybody today. Nobody knows who's right. Somebody will be right. Most will be wrong. Right. And we're probably going to end up in the middle, I guess, of all these predictions and forecasts. Uh, I do want to bring up a funny story that we had in a client meeting the other day. This is a story you told, and it fits this show great. Because um, we're, you know, obviously people have concerns and we never, t it's okay to have concerns and ask questions, right? And we're there to provide the education and here's why we're going to stick to the plan. And, uh, and you made the comment, you go, you know, I wish I could just name my firm Crystal Ball Financial. And I knew everything that was going to happen because I'd have a line from here to downtown of people that wanted help. I'd have 37 <laughs> people working here. We'd be a big company. I mean, I know I was thinking, and then I was driving <laughs> home that night. I was thinking that would be nice. That'd be pretty easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, all it, it was actually somebody asking when they should take Social Security. I said, yeah, well, that's right. At the yep. end of the day, if I had a crystal ball, this would be easy. It's just not easy. There's no crystal ball out there. No. Um, but the cool thing about how we do things is we talked about this a couple of other shows ago. We try to move people from the prediction world into the probabilistic world what's most likely to happen. And then let's test what we're doing financially. So from a savings rate, a withdrawal rate, how much we're going to spend, all those things. Let's test that against all the good and bad things that can happen. So let's test it against inflation and higher taxes and a market drawdown. That's what a financial plan does. If you're using a Monte Carlo simulation, it's stress testing. What could happen? That's all people really want to know is, will I be okay? Right. If this happens, will I be okay? And if you haven't done a financial plan, it's virtually impossible to say to somebody with some level of confidence whether they're going to be okay or not. I had lunch with a current client that we haven't done a plan on yet. We're going to. And he kept saying at lunch, I think I'll be okay. I think I'll be okay. And he has a couple other advisors. So, you know, I'm treading lightly with those relationships because I believe there's good financial advisors and you don't have to work with just one person. Um, and he's been with these guys like 20 years. So, you know, what good's it going to do me to, you know, bash a relationship? But I know them. They're good advisors. But I said, hey, let's try to move you out of the I think world into the I know world. And he said, right. well, what do you mean? I said, well, we can quantify whether this is going to work or not for saying I think we're going to be okay. And he's done a great job saying he will be okay more than likely. Unless he goes out, my classic line, unless he goes out and starts buying Ferraris, probably going to be right. okay. And he's not right. a Ferrari type of guy. Um so as far as we can get away from the prediction world, the crystal ball world, I, I think the better, you know, that, that we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so actually you forwarded this article to me and through an email and the title is ignore all forecasters and market noise. So, you know, I thought, okay, this is a good one. I'll give, read this and, you know, our process and we talk about with clients, with prospects. We want to get into the probabilistic world and start talking about here's how we can position ourselves to be 
successful or have a high probability of success because at the end of the day, just like you're saying, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we can take the information that we have now and come up with a good plan and come up with a good portfolio that's, you know, positioned to, and one of the best lines from this article, the guy who wrote this, he made the point that you should move from being prepared for bad events to being prepared to survive bad events. And I'm, and I started thinking, you know, that's really what we're doing. We're getting our clients into a position where if something bad happens, or if there's a big market correction, if there's runaway inflation, hopefully we're positioned to survive those events. Um, so some of the some of the highlights that I have from this, and I love this line: the the advisor's job is to educate clients that bad events will occur. And so I know that you do this. I mean, how many times have have you told people the market's going to go down at some point? Yeah, if we're preparing people they'll utilize good investor behavior. They'll be do what successful investors do. That's and right. That's do nothing and they'll adhere to the plan. And this is actually, um, this was done by a guy named, uh, his last name, Larry Swedrow. He wrote a book, The Only Guide to the Winning Investment Strategy You'll Ever Need, um, Your Complete Guide to Successful and Secure Retirement. And you're right, that's what we do. We prepare people for bad things to happen, not to scare them, but to educate them and say, hey, we've already stress test this. If this happens, the market goes down 25% this year and 12 the next year, this is the probability you'll be okay. That's what people wanna know. And that's a highly unlikely scenario if you're in a 60-40 portfolio. If you, I'm just randomly right, using just that, there, just throwing yeah. that out there. Um, but here's what's cool. He also talks about in this article, should advisors be rebalancing portfolios? Well, the answer is yes. If you're not yes. rebalancing the portfolios, you're actually not sticking to the plan. I mean, this is one of the most simple things people can do to really help their overall future. And if, if and I know we just rebalanced last week. So if you think about this, last year, growth stocks were up. Let's say someone had 50% in growth stocks and 50% in value stocks. Growth stocks were up like 35%. Value is like break even or positive a little. This year, it's completely flip-flopped. So if somebody owned both, they're winning. Right. Right. They're winning. But if you would have sold the growth and rebalanced back to value, what actually happened? You accentuated your return because yeah. you didn't just sit there with, oh, man, now I've got 65% in growth as a percentage and 35 in value. I rebalanced. I bought more value, the one that didn't make quite as much. And now it's the one that made more. It's magical what it does. But rebalancing forces people to execute the number one and number two behaviors in investing. Buy low, sell high. Nobody wants to sell the one that made money, right? Human nature, you get your 401k plan. What am I going to do? Oh, that one did 35%. I'm going to buy that one. You should be right. right. Doesn't mean you shouldn't buy it. Correct. It just doesn't mean it's going to be the best performer next year. Callum puts a chart out all the time that shows the top asset classes from year to year. Not It's not frequent when it's the same asset class of the top two years in a row. I think if I was somebody looking at allocating a 401k, I'd be thinking about that because if you're doing this yourself and you don't have professional guidance, human nature, which one did the best last year? Because we all have recency bias. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think this year has been, especially our our reviews the last few months with clients. I think it's been, I think it's been a good like educational experience for those clients and insightful because of the way the information is printed out on the review. We can actually show them exactly what you're talking about. These were the winners last year, and look, it's almost opposite this year. These other asset classes are winning, so I think it gives them a good like sense of conviction and feeling and starting to understand better, okay, this is why I diversify and have a good diversified, good diversified portfolio, which we've said on the show before, diversification is admitting that you don't know everything because you wanna own good assets all the time because you don't know when, when the winners are gonna be the winners and you don't know when the next year, the, uh, the classes that were flat, well, now they're up 25%. You just you just don't know when that's going to happen. You're eliminating predictions. Yeah, just, just through being diversified, yeah. Being diversified, like you said, admitting defeat. I think that was coined by Daniel Crosby in one of his books I read. Like, you're admitting you're wrong on something. I just don't know what. So you're eliminating the other, you know, outside noise there. But another thing he talks about, and I think people have a problem with this, and this is important if clients have non-qualified accounts, so it's not an IRA or a 401k or Roth IRA or 403b, a lot of people don't want to rebalance because of taxes. Oh, I don't want to pay tax. Not the right reason to not rebalance. Yeah, right. Now, paying short-term taxes, no, we should wait for 12 months to get the long-term capital gains rate. But not rebalancing because you have gains in something isn't a reason to not rebalance. And a good financial advisor can help you navigate how to rebalance that and minimize those taxes along the way. So I just want to preface that because all the time I hear, I don't want to sell that. I'd have to pay tax. Well, what if it goes down 30%? You might as well just pay the tax and take in some of the profits. Right. I mean, you want to lock the profit or you want to watch it go down? Because it could. Right. And there's, I mean, once you're outside of your taxed, um, tax qualified accounts, there's going to be taxes associated with making money. That's just the way it works. Right. So I think the better question or the, and what the article pointed out was, is your financial plan allowing you to invest tax efficiently? Cause you can't, there's no avoiding taxes. I mean, unless it's, you're doing it illegally. Right. So right. there's no good way to avoid it. Well, so are you being tax efficient? The whole point of the article was if you do some really simple things, basically create a financial plan, execute a financial plan and stick to the basics, you can just eliminate all, you don't have to listen to any predictions. They don't matter. Yeah. Because nowhere in your financial plan, your financial planning software, does it say that for me to be successful, I have to figure out when to buy and when to sell. Right, correct. It figures out what we need to own for a long period of time, but not what I need, when to buy and when to sell. Because time in the market, we got to be right twice. We got to be right when we sell, and we have to be right when we get back in. Yeah. And to do that, if somebody tells you they can do that, they can't. And if they do do it, it's pure luck. And don't <laughs> let them tell anything else. Right. And speaking of lucky, sometimes people make lucky predictions. They do. Like They do, and that that's a good lead-in. And this is a guy that... I don't feel bad, but we do pick on him because um, he his name's Harry Dent, and he's calling for the biggest crash ever, likely by the end of June. And I do want to point out to our listeners, he said there was going to be a 40% correction in April, and I watched a YouTube interview. He said, if I'm wrong, I'm going to quit, 
Well, well did he say he was going to move to Puerto Rico? But he already lives there, I think. Yes. <laughs> he already lives there. He just said, I'm going to move to Hard a different to island, and oh. you're never going to hear from me again. He's and back. So that's like – that's one of his new moves I've noticed in this next article. So now the, the time has moved to June for when this crash is going to start. And then even in this article, he said, if I'm wrong, you're never going to hear from me again. Well, So it's just kind of a common theme with him that each time he's wrong, you kick the can down the road. And then and now he's just threatening to quit. Well, here's why. Because he was right in 1989. He was. He was right yes. one time. He, he called was. called Japan's 1989 bubble, the bubble in Japan in 1989. Well, if he keeps predicting long enough, so we're going on 31 years, right? Is that, <laughs> is that the math? 31 years? 32 years? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Eventually he's going to be right. And guess what? He'll be a hero again. Because, oh, I called it. And you've been right twice in basically a lifetime. When yeah. if you just would have bought an index fund and went, went wrong, you could have been the worst investor in the world, right? We've done that whole scenario. If you put in money at the top, the very highest point before a correction, you still made money. This guy right. hasn't been able to keep a fund open. He's had to close them for underperformance. Like, this is just purely noise that the first article we talked about, this is why you have to drown it out because people read this biggest crash ever and it scares people, but you know what it does? It sells subscriptions, it sells books, sells videos. It gets followers on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Because people inherently, if they're scared, they'll listen, right? What is it I'm missing out on? In fact, I think of Jonas in our office, tell the story about uh, Robert Cialdani who um, wrote the book influence. And I think it was Bose Stereo was having trouble with advertising. They couldn't get it right. And he's like, I know what you need to do. Just change your slogan. Hear what you've been missing. <laughs> because if I tell you you've been missing out on something, well, right. what now, is it I'm missing have, out now on? Now you have my attention. There's a curiosity. Now I need to there. know. I need right. to know. And that's what this is. Biggest crash ever. Well, we read it. We're giving the guy publicity. At the end of the day, he might be right. Eventually, he's going to be right. There's just no question about it. He's going to be right eventually. But right. are are you actually going to sit out of the market until he's right? Because if you did, you've basically been sitting out for like the last 20 years. Right. But here's what's the best part of the article, Elias. Okay. He says in the article, by 2024, it's going to come back. Right. And right. what yeah. was my comment to you? I said, so you mean to tell me that if we have the greatest market crash in June... I can just not open a statement for two years and pretend nothing happened and everything's going to be fine. That's in a roundabout way. That is what he said. Right. So think about that. Why would you try to time the market? If it's going to come back, let the market go down. If it goes down and be a long-term investor, do what successful investors do. Right. They don't and react. Yeah. And it's more, it's actually what you just said there. That's all the more reason to have a good financial plan. Because the plan's going to dictate that I'm staying in the market and I have a good strategy for this situation. People that make poor investment decisions in time of chaos, they don't have a plan because they don't have conviction in what they're doing. They think they're going to be okay. Right. They're operating on, I think, and they're I not operating in the probabilistic world and things like that that we talk about. They end up purely in the emotional world. Yeah. Which is the word. I mean, just humans in general, we're not built to be good investors, right? right. All, most humans are greedy when things are going. Look at look at Bitcoin and look at um, all these stocks that are just going through the roof. 
oh, I got to get some. I'm missing out. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to buy Shibu Inu, whatever that is. I just got to keep <laughs> buying this stuff because that's my lottery ticket. My cousin last night, I was on the phone with him. He works out in Oregon. He's a wildlife person. Bitcoin's where it's at. What are you talking about? Well, this guy at work told me how he bought this, but his wallet got stolen. And if his wallet wouldn't have got stolen, I go, it's not true. Where it's at is just saving a small amount of money over a long period of time. And that's how you're going to be successful. But our human nature is be super greedy when things are good. And when things are bad, we get super fearful. We should really be the opposite. And Warren Buffett's coined that line. Be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Yeah, right. And that's that. That's probably the biggest challenge, and especially for us educating investors, it really good investor behavior goes against just kind of how we're naturally wired. And I think for me, I always think so. Like when the market does, like last year in March, when the market goes down, I think people are inclined to be problem solvers, right? So I feel like just there's this natural tendency to think if I don't do anything. I'm not solving the problem when really by not doing anything or when the market goes down 30%, you're opportunistic and you put more money in and buy. I think it just feels to people like you're not trying to solve the problem, but really you got to stick to it and everything will work out. And I just want to point out whether it's Harry Dent or anybody making these. Jeremy Grantham. Yeah, Jeremy Grantham. Anybody making these really radical predictions. I highlighted some red flags. So these are just things, if you read this type of stuff in an article, it's just, you should probably just move on. Just stop reading the article. Don't pay it any mind. It's the riskiest, and this is what Harry Dent wrote. It's the riskiest market since 1929. And guess what? Well, it might be, but how do you know? He doesn't know. Right. How do you know that? And, but that's, my point is, saying it's a riskiest market since 1929, well, you're inferring a 10-year Great Depression like that happened right. back then. So that's a scare tactic. That's not like that's not an insightful... Which doesn't even make sense because he said right. even if it goes down, it's coming back by 2024. Yeah, so <laughs> he proved himself wrong, really, in this article. Um, and then, you know, and then he touts himself as... And we already talked about it. He got the Japan's 1989 bubble bust right. Well... If you're if someone's predicting things and they're hanging their hat on a prediction they made 30 years ago, they've probably been wrong a lot of times since 30 years well, we, ago. We've and done today. shows; he's been wrong. Yeah, and then and then he talks about it's all fake earnings and fake GDP and fake interest rates. Um, well, it's not fake; it's real because it's happening. What did someone just like right come print something that doesn't exist? It's not fake; it's real. It's what's happening. Is it artificial? Maybe. But it's what's happening, so you can't call it fake. Like, you don't like what's happening. You believe it's propped up on some different monetary policy things that are out there. It doesn't mean they're fake. Right, right. They actually happened. Yeah. Those those... companies earned that amount of money. They didn't just cook the books and decide, whoa, (laughs) we're going to show awesome earnings so people buy. No, they happened. Right. So (laughs) those things aren't fake. I guess that's the point. Um, So anyway, just... When you hear these things, when you read these things, you got to take it with a grain of salt and just know that um, if you look at the last, just ever since Harry Dent's been in our business, there's really not been a good, there there hasn't really been a bad time to be investing into a good diversified portfolio. And even the times he's been right, 
it, it's been irrelevant to people if you just stay in the market and have good behavior. I can't tell you how many clients I have. And I ask people, you know, what did you do in 2008? Because I'm trying to get a gauge on how people react. Because once again, my job is to kind of get into the client's world mm-hmm. and figure out how they're going to act in these times of stress and chaos. And the people that have the most money that come in here, most of them, if I say, what did you do in 08? Well, I didn't do anything. What did you do during COVID? I didn't do anything. What did you do in 2000? I didn't do anything. They're the successful people. But you know what I hear from these people? Oh, I feel really bad for the guy that I worked with. He pulled all of his money out at the bottom and he's been in cash since 2009. Yep. Guess what? Do it yourself or almost guarantee you because most, most advisors out there, especially now that we've been through, you know, for me, it's three of these now pretty big corrections. You know, 2001 maybe doesn't count because I was just graduating, but I was in finance. I knew what the world was about, but I've been through two two of these big ones now. And if I've done a good job educating somebody, we have a financial plan during COVID. I had one client who moved to cash and I'm not going to talk somebody out of it. It's their money, but I educated everybody else and why. And did I know the market was coming back? No. I mean, let's think about it. Markets in free fall. But hey, have conviction in this plan. And that's what they held on to is, hey, we've tested for this. We'll be okay. I can run and rerun your financial plan. Click of a button when the market's at 19,000 in the Dow and say, well, this is the asset allocation we have to have. And I can go rebalance and practice good investor behavior and sell some bonds and buy some stocks and you know juice the return a little bit if it comes back. Like All those things are what advisors help people do. And a lot of times people have this false identity of what we do. They think we're going to go pick like the unicorn investment. We're not right. picking the unicorn. We're going to do it gives you the highest probability of success. Your neighbor who does it themselves doesn't see value in that. I can pick good investments. Yeah, you might. You might be right nine times out of 10. But the one time you're wrong, it may be catastrophic to your overall plan. So Elias, the other big prediction that I hear people putting out there is inflation. What inflation is going to be? We're going to get runaway inflation. Time out. We don't know. I I literally have listened to everything. I have some of the most well-respected people. Kathy Wood, Mm -hmm. who runs ARC Fund, we talked about her earlier. She says the biggest risk is deflation. Right. And so we've actually, we almost, we've been talking about the two camps of inflation. And now we have three. Yeah. Now, yeah, this kind of brought to light. There's really three because she's not the only person, but there's people talking about this is going to be long-term inflation. There's people saying this is going to be temporary inflation. And now this really brought to our attention that, and Kathy Wood is a great fund manager, one of the smartest people in our industry. The biggest risk is deflation. So we really have three camps talking about inflation right now. You know what? Here's what's beautiful about opposing views. It's actually what makes markets go round. If we were all buyers, if everybody had conviction the market was going up, there would there would be nobody, no one would sell. Like there wouldn't right. be any liquidity in the market. So what happens are all these different opposing views actually creates market liquidity. It doesn't mean they're right or wrong. They just have different outlooks. They're going to invest differently. But for most people, the biggest risk for retirees right now, especially if they're holding bonds in their portfolio, is inflation. Because if inflation happens, remember we have this inverse correlation between bond prices and interest rates. So yeah, I always 
tell people this, especially if they're like 55, 65. When you were a kid and you went to the playground, you rode on the teeter-totter. Yep. They don't have a teeter-totter. It's like bugs or animals or whatever. It's not like the traditional teeter-totter. Right. But this teeter-totter is interest rates are on the ground right now, low, mm-hmm. and prices are the person sitting up in the air. And as those interest rates go up, the price of bonds comes down. And if it goes too rapidly, it can cause people to lose money in bonds. And I'm not predicting that's going to happen, but that is one of the biggest risks for retirees right now. Now, is that a long-term risk? Maybe, maybe not. Because higher yields long-term may be better for an income investor. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the, that is kind of another talking point is in the short term, it might be painful, but if you are an income investor, you do want yields and interest rates to go up because then you can produce better return from your portfolio, right? Yeah. And this is where you start to talk with people about portfolio construction, what you believe will happen. And for us, it's like, how do we keep income investors out of harm's way? Yeah. How right, can we best right. position a portfolio so that if interest rates rapidly spike or the, the Federal Reserve announces a you know, surprise interest rate hike, we aren't caught off guard. And there's no guarantee that we can do that or any advisor can do that. But you do right. your best to kind of play around that. But I think this is another reason it's dangerous to predict. I mean, literally last night, we're sitting at a dinner. So Kathy Woods is predicting, let me back up. She's predicting like three different things that could cause deflation. But one of them she mentioned is commodities. And if you've watched commodities this year, there's been a rapid rise in commodity prices. Um, And we were at uh, an event last night where we were presented some pretty compelling evidence by a very well-respected economist, Brian Westbury with First Trust Portfolios. Um, So what's kind of funny about that, I had just read this article yesterday afternoon. So I just gotten Kathy Wood's take on commodity prices. And then we went and saw the the presentation we saw last night. So I have these two totally opposite views of people I really respect and admire kind of going in through my head then. And last night, I mean, commodities haven't done anything the last 10. In fact, I think they're negative. But they're going yeah. through this compelling reason why people should be leveraging commodities in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And Kathy Woods is saying, we're going to see deflation because of falling commodity prices. I mean, we're talking about complete opposite ends of the spectrum for yeah. both of these people. So how in the world is a regular everyday investor ever going to figure this out? If you read this article and then you go to another <laughs> guy you respect, he's telling you exactly the opposite. And, and right. it's what you have to start to form your own opinions and what you believe is going to happen. And you invest that way and you have to have conviction. And that's done through a financial plan, right? Um, if you want to own commodities, great. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But diversification is part of any portfolio that we do. Um, so, you know, I it was funny you brought all these articles. And it was just good timing because – Yesterday, we had someone called in and asked, what are you guys doing about inflation? Wanted to know like some of the changes. And we just made some last Friday based upon our views and what those views are. Um, It's not predictions because we won't predict. But, you know, we watch the environment and try to react to the environment to keep people out of harm's way as much as possible on the fixed income side. Yeah. And once again, it goes back to we don't have a crystal ball. So this isn't crystal ball financial. But can we position clients in a in a good strategy and in a good position with a good financial plan and then control the things we can control. Yes, we can do those things. Um, but right at the end of the day, this is like, okay, so your average investor, they go and 
um, type something into a Google search about inflation and maybe they read Kathy's article or they read the guy we heard spoke last night. Um, I just feel like for the average person, you just wanna delegate that stuff to people like us who are always in tune and always taking these opposing viewpoints and then and then helping you make the decisions. This, the delegation, all that to me, how do you even value that? You can't, you, you value it because you see value in someone else doing it, hiring a professional to help you. But here's what it reminds me of. So I play fantasy baseball. I haven't played in like four years. My buddy's like, come play fantasy baseball. And I like it because I'm like a numbers guy. And in fantasy baseball, you don't really have to know the players. I know some of them. But what do I need to do? I need to be good with numbers and figure out how to build a good team. And I'm in first place in this fantasy baseball. So I'm, I've only played like three different years and I always do really well. And I'm not kidding you. When I drafted this team, I knew like four of the players on my team. Everybody, I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but. You're just going on stat lines. I'm just looking purely at statistics and some other analytics, you know, underlying analytics, bat speed and some different stuff, like some really <laughs> nerdy stuff. So I have my buddy who runs this league call me up. He goes, how are you doing it? Like I'm 50 and 20. I think, I mean, I'm way far ahead in first place. Not way far ahead, but I'm doing good. I've lost the last two weeks. I have some injuries, but he goes, how are you doing? And I said, well. I'm only focused on what I can control. He goes, what do you mean? I said, all I can control in fantasy baseball, I can't control when someone hits a home run. I can't control when they score. I can't control when they drive somebody in. I can't control if they steal a base. I can't control their average. I can't control how many runs they give up, but what can I control? I can control how many starting pitchers I put out each week because you win categories in this league. Okay. So wins, saves, strikeouts, ERA, whip, quality starts. The only thing I can control is how many starts I give somebody. So I only go after three categories, wins, strikeouts, and quality starts. Because I can put out, I have 10 moves a week, I can put on the field like 17 starting pitcher, pitchers. I had like 102 strikeouts, my opponent had 42 last week. I'm going to dominate those three categories because I can control that. And everything so else, I'm just going to let the chips where they lie. Because if I win three, I only have to win three more to win out of the 12. Right. So you, you you have an unfair advantage because <laughs> of being a financial advisor. And we're always working with like planning and controlling the controllables and then statistical analysis and probabilities. So oh. like it for you, these decisions are so much. It's so simple because you're just like, OK, these are the three things I'm going to focus on. And I'm sure... If I started playing, you know, anyone playing fantasy baseball, they're probably chasing it's, this or that. It's so much different than fantasy football. Fantasy football, you actually have to know some stuff. Fantasy baseball is all stats. So he called me. He's like, you don't have any relief pitchers on your team. I go, why would I? They get like three innings a week. They strike out like three or four guys, and they might get a save. I don't know when they're going to pitch. <laughs> But I know. I don't know the coach. I don't know when he's putting them in. I, I, well, I don't know if they're going to be up in a right. position to get a save. Like, it's all random luck. So what I'm trying to do in that is similar to what I do with financial plans. How do I eliminate all the luck? Like, there's still a amount of luck. But if I win three out, if I guarantee myself to win three out of 12, like, it's a guarantee. Just pure volume. If I have 19 starting pitchers, you're just not going to beat me. <laughs> Because they're pitching relief pitchers and trying to get saved. So I take that approach in fantasy baseball as I do financial planning. What can I control? And I think if people think about in their world, what can they control financially? I can control how much money I save. I can control how frequent I do it. I can control my spending. What can I control? 
what inflation does, what taxes do, who's a president, what Harry Depp predicts. I can't control any of this stuff. Just focus right. on your sphere of control. And the more we focus on sphere of control, the better people will do. And that all starts with a well-written financial plan. And if you need one, you can get us at btwellshow.com. Click a button, either talk with an advisor, start a plan. We'd be happy to help you. But that's how you take control of your financial destiny. So, so I have a question about fantasy baseball. So are they going to invite you to play next year? Yeah, here's the deal. People drop out a lot. I mean, it's pretty time intensive because they play every day. Right. And to be good, you got to set your lineup every day. And guys don't play on certain days, so you get notifications. My wife hates it. She's like, what are you doing on your phone again? Fantasy baseball. <laughs> fantasy baseball. I did fantasy basketball. It was kind of the same thing. I just didn't dig it. I, I like to watch baseball, but I need a reason to watch it. Like last night, I was watching the A's. Would I ever watch the A's? But Frankie Montas was pitching, so I was in. And he's your he's on he's your one team. Of, he's one of the guys. He's, well, okay. once again, I had four starting pitchers last night because all I tried to do is put starting pitchers in the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so – yeah, note to everyone out there, don't invite your financial advisor buddy to your fantasy leagues. <laughs> well, it depends. But I was going to look at it. Because yeah, if you overanalyze probably. this, you're going to try to win everything. And I'm only trying to win a few things. Right. Let the chips fall where they may. So <laughs> uh, with that it. with that said, uh, if anybody's looking for help, please go to btwellshow.com. And we appreciate everybody listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIT. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.